Hey y'all, this is Steven, host of the Beyond Consulting Podcast. We're brought to you by ECA Partners, a retained executive search firm that specializes in filling value creation roles across strategy, finance, and operations. Today on the podcast, we have the pleasure of chatting with Leon Dong. Leon, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Steven. Thank you for having me on. I'm really excited to share a little bit about my background for your listeners. We do appreciate you jumping on because I think that your background is very interesting. You've jumped into some larger companies at interesting parts of their growth history, as well as some early stage startups. So I think that you've touched quite a different parts of the business world. But before we dive into that, let's rewind. would love to have an overview of your career. Yeah, would be happy to. I started Emory University in Atlanta which is um, close to where my family's from. So, and uh, spent actually majority of my career in Atlanta. But after graduating from Emory, I started my career in consulting at Capgemini and Kurt Salmon. And after that, I spent the, you know, my post consulting career, mostly in tech enabled marketplace startups, where I focused on my passion of delivering exceptional customer experience at scale. All actually in industries that have what I say is known to disappoint rather than delight. Something I didn't necessarily know at the time, but it's very much where I've really realized where, you know, I've found a lot of joy. So that spanned uh, first at Uber for transportation and food delivery. Then I went to Bellhop for moving and then at Newbreaks for auto repair before, you know, I found my way to found, uh, very much pun intended. And, you know, to share a little bit more about found. It's a digital health company with a mission to make evidence-based weight care accessible for all using our you know, unique method of a biopsychosocial intervention program. And to break down you know, a little bit about what that means, that's biology in the form of personalized medicine from prescription to fulfillment, psychology delivered by coaches, content in our mobile app, plug 4.8 star rating on the app store, thousands of reviews there, very hard to get. And then lastly, social via the form of uh, communities uh, built within our member base. It's interesting because I was not originally drawn to work in healthcare. Um, in my mind, you know, regulation and compliance in healthcare and while necessary would make moving at a fast pace challenging. And it's something I very much enjoyed um, from my time in startups. And the way I got there, though, is a friend of mine from Uber who was CEO of Found at the time. You know, she reached out to me about Found and I had to recall because she's a friend. You know, I'm not an asshole. So I led to conversations with uh, a few others on the leadership team. And then actually the incoming CEO at the time, Sarah Jones Simmers, who is truly, she's like super inspirational figure, uh, incredible human being, amazing story herself, former CEO at Bumble and quarterback the Bumble's IPO process, all while fighting stage three breast cancer. Would highly encourage like listeners to, you know, read or hear more about her story. Some fantastical articles about on the web, if you Google her name, and she's done some pretty amazing podcasts herself. Anyways, off that tangent, you know, after those conversations, I realized that, you know, getting the chance to work in a company that not only fulfilled my passion of delivering exceptional customer experience at scale, but then found also gave me the chance to do it in a longitudinal life-changing way. And that's something that I, you know, really thought would be rewarding after I sat down and thought about it a little bit more. So I seized the opportunity and I decided to come on board. My role when I first started at Found was to build out a strategy and analytics function that supported, you know, all verticals in the company. You know, it was a company that was growing at a remarkable rate. When I joined, we had, I think, grown over 300% year over year at that time. That led to building a team from a, of one analyst 
to a team of eight. And there was also a major milestone for us in the middle. Um, so our Series B fundraise, we raised $100 million on a $600 million post-money valuation. You know, I, let, I was responsible for the data room to, to, to power that fundraise. Fast forward to now, our COO, you know, who actually recruited me and I was reporting to, recently transitioned out of the company, and that's led me to holding two roles. So first is that role where, you know, I'm still leading the strategy analytics team, but that's also added to the generalist business operations scope that goes end to end. Um, what I say is from like analysis all the way through implementation and, you know, many um, stages in between that's focused on it's like company strategic priorities. And then second is now a role leading our care operations function where um, I inherited from our former COO that's responsible for delivering clinical care from providers in partnership with our medical group and uh, pharmaceutical medication fulfillment. So that's what I'm doing now. Well, it sounds exciting. It also sounds like uh, quite a lot there. So recently took on more responsibilities. How did you manage that just day to day? Were you able to take a few things off of your plate or have your days just doubled in length? Not going to lie. It's pretty busy. Um, It's an energizing sort of busy. You know, I think a lot of us have been in our careers, myself personally, anyways, I can only speak from, I guess, like my personal anecdotes. But um, there have been times where I have worked a lot and felt very energetic and, you know, excited. And there's been times where I've worked, you know, very little and had, was twirling my thumbs and I felt very burnt out and, you know, had no energy, like at the end of the day, even though maybe I only, I definitely worked less than eight hours, you know, in in many of those times. So it's busy, but it's fulfilling is part of it. My days haven't doubled because it would be hard to double the days I used to do before. But I've had to figure out how to delegate some of the work in my previous role, because I'm spending a lot more of my time right now in my interim, like essentially a head of ops role, where I would say it's like an 80-20 split. It's a good thing that I'm more of like the biz ops analytics function was, I would say, more stabilized. And I actually have a very strong um, lead there that's doing a lot more of the day-to-day work right now. Good. And you came in to found about one year ago. Is that right? It's actually been less than one year, but it's, you know, it's felt much longer than that in a lot of ways. Some, some of it is like very good and it's been like, there's just been so much that's gone on. And uh, sometimes it's been, yeah, it's, there's definitely lots of challenges and that's in any startup you join. A lot of ways it can look very rosy on the outside and like there is no early or growth stage startup that does not have so many internal challenges is what I've realized. Yeah. So would you call this a, a telehealth company? Yeah, I think I refer to it as like digital health, but yeah, I, I think more saying it's like telehealth is essentially the industry we're in. Yeah. Okay. It sounds like, I mean, since COVID, that's been a pretty exciting market. Did Found come about during COVID or was it before COVID? The company started actually in mid-2020. I may be a few months off, to be honest. It essentially started out, so like actually right around when COVID first hit. So yes. And it is actually, it was founded out of a venture studio called Atomic Studios. And for those that, you know, are not as familiar with a venture studio, I myself was not familiar with a venture studio until joining Found. They have a very interesting model. So they incubate startup ideas themselves, and then they find founders or we call entrepreneurs and residents to join and work on those ideas that they've incubated and essentially co-found the company with them. You might have heard in like some other EIRs, you call them like entrepreneurs and residents that will join VC firms and then essentially found their own idea and then that firm will back it. Atomic plays a different model where 
they've got this like whole host of ideas that they're trying to find people to test. So Found came out of this Atomic in 2020, and it was actually named Torch back then. And there was a name change. So it's only been a little bit over two years. And, you know, the company has definitely seen some like very quick acceleration on growth and like very clear product market fit in this space. Wow. So you've been there for half of the company's entire history. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's like, now I think about it, it's like some kind of insane to be honest, but yeah, yeah, you could say that. Yeah. How many people work there? That's a good question. Like it changes very quickly sometimes. Sometimes I'll say a number and it's like, oh man, look back. It's like, no, we have way more than that. I want to say we're in the 300s. I don't have an exact number, but um, we've grown quite aggressively. Are the providers employed or do they have other jobs and then work with y'all part-time? Most of our providers work with us um, part-time and they actually work for an entity outside of Found where it's our medical director runs that group and they're all contracted through our, the medical group and then we partner with them to deliver services. Okay, good. So Found itself is the service provider that makes these connections. Yes, it very much can think of as somewhere like there's a marketplace component to it. It's a little bit more nuanced than, you know, I've worked in other marketplaces before. So there's like one more entity involved. And, you know, that is for uh, very much patient safety as we're trying to separate the medical and business units. So like the business unit is not influencing, you know, what the medical team is delivering in terms of clinical protocols and patient safety. Good. All right. So and I think that found is, is it the eighth company you work with? I don't know if I counted those correctly. Steven, you're making, I don't, I don't even know. I'm about to go count right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, anyway, interesting journey to get to where you are in this exciting role. So wanted to rewind back to the early days and you graduated from Emory, is that right? Yes. Emory. Well, I call Harvard the Emory of the North. Oh yeah. (laughs) But yeah, my alma mater, Emory University in Atlanta, great school. Good. Well, walk us through what happened after Emory. Yeah, I'll actually start while I was in school, just on a particular point. So I come from a family of uh, entrepreneurs. Uh, my parents are actually immigrants. And um, we are uh, from there's like a, there's a city in China called Wenzhou. It's on the East Coast, but it's very much known for having a very entrepreneurial mindset. The whole area is? Yeah, the, you know, manufacturing is kind of shifting now to like other countries outside of China, you know, because of COVID and even like before COVID because of like labor costs are going up in China is like the you know countries like getting um, more like rising up like uh, economic curve. But before that, Winsow was like the city that like produced a lot of like the leather goods and a lot of like the actual products that were like, you know, later sold in the US. But anyways, very highly entrepreneurial city. Uh, in college was I got my first like kind of taste of that. I started a refurbished electronics company where I like refurbished like monitors and I sold them through like eBay and Amazon. I had a pretty good run in college. I think we did in 18 months, I want to say like about 300K in top line. Yeah, I just figured out a little like niche that, you know, we could do. So it was really fun. I did that. And, you know, after college, though, I was like, okay, you know, this was a fun, call it almost an experiment, but I want to get some like professional, like, hey, I want to know what it's like to work in a corporate setting and like, you know, polish like career from a uh, like more like status quo, like career, right? Especially coming out of school like Emory, where, you know, especially folks who are studying, you know, whether on the business side or on the econ side, which is what I majored in, you know, a lot of people go into consulting. The pitch is you come in and, you know, you get the chance to learn quickly, learn skill sets, work with leaders across companies and across a variety of different companies, you know, to you know have an accelerated career. 
So I came out of Emory and I joined Capgemini Consulting at the time, which was the strategy arm of the larger Capgemini group, which is a you know large consultancy based out of Europe with you know pretty significant like North American like presence. And I definitely got a taste of the corporate world, all the way from learning how to make a PowerPoint deck to learning SharePoint, you know, learning you know how to interact with stakeholders internally, externally. And uh, there's some things I enjoyed about it, some things I didn't enjoy about it. In particular, one of the, not necessarily out of consulting, but one of the things, you know, that didn't work as well at the time was the firm overhired a little bit based on the last class. And I also learned about this beautiful thing called the bench in consulting. So I spent a decent amount of time there as, you know, as with all of my other, like generally my entire other cohort. So I was actually kept doing that for close to a year. But utilization rate was not something that I even want to share with you. Um, so I decided to transition and like, hey, I wanted to find a consulting firm that I feel like I get a, more of a real consulting experience in. So I went to a firm called Kurt, Sa- Kurt Salmon. I feel like I should be able to pronounce this. But uh, they specialize in retail strategy. And it's part of Accenture now. I think Accenture bought them like like four or five years ago. So when I joined, joined Kurt Salmon, a lot of the work is focused on distribution strategy, where to put warehouses, like network strategy, and then also more of the implementation, you know, actually like warehouse processes go live. But it was interesting because I was finally utilized. So I was getting to go on projects. And the one where I spent the most amount of time on was in a Nike warehouse, pushing for a technology go live. I mean, mapping out some very detailed processes and, you know, working with the folks in that warehouse. Interesting in some ways and not interesting to me in, you know, some other ways. And I think, well, the thing that I actually liked the most out of consulting was getting a chance to build like camaraderie with some of my peers, especially like you hate your traveling. And, you know, you know, I was only like a year out of college at this point. It's just a lot of fun to like kind of be around people if you're on an expense, you're on an expense account and like, hey, like, you know, I'm not going crazy, but like you're having nicer dinners than I was used to in terms of coming out of college and eating, you know, our cafeteria food. So that was, you know, really enjoyable. And also just like, you know, seeing a little bit more on what the lifestyle of consulting is like. What I didn't necessarily find enjoyable as much was I didn't feel like the impact I was having was something I could really see. The projects I worked on, like for the most majority of the time, was long. And, you know, I was trying to go for one milestone in this like very large, like warehouse go live, which, you know, I actually want to know, it was like probably, I think it was like one of, it was like the biggest retail warehouse in America or one of the biggest, which is interesting to think about, but also it just felt like I was a very little pawn in, you know, the grand scheme of delivering a solution that to be honest, I wasn't like super interested in either. <laughs> you know, after a little bit less than a year at Kurt Salmon, at that point I realized, hey, look, consulting probably isn't for me. You know, I've had two different firms and gotten experience at this point. And I'd always been interested in being entrepreneurial and I've always been interested in like consumer technology, you know, even kind of dating foreshadowed that by like speaking to a little bit during my college days. And uh, there was a little known or company at the time called Uber that was definitely making waves. What year was this that you joined Uber? It was early 2015. So I probably shouldn't say the little known. I was using Uber for travel at the time and consulting to like, you know, get to the airport. I think it was Uber went more mainstream in 2014 and 2013 being like, you know, 2012, 2013 being the early days. But one of the individuals, when I started at Kurt Salman in my first week, he was actually leaving to go work at Uber. 
And I remember I went to his farewell lunch on my first week there. They said, you know, they combined that and said it was also my welcome lunch. I didn't believe that because no one really cared about me. <laughs> he was at Uber and Uber at the time was very decentralized. So they had large offices in all of your large like metro areas. The way Uber was run was from a GM model for the city or, you know, the MSA that is representing. So example is like, I worked out of Atlanta and there's an Uber office in Atlanta with a general manager and he essentially ran Atlanta like its own company. Very interesting in, you know, some ways because that was part of what allowed Uber to really grow and be innovative because you put very high judgment operators in every market and you gave them autonomy to make decisions with, you know, a fairly sizable P&L. So GM and then the way Uber was structured, the city teams, you call them structured at the time where you had folks on the marketing side, then you have folks on the operations side. Yeah, marketing was a lot of like local brand awareness. Think like, hey, the early days would, you know, they'd be going out to like festivals to hand out like, you know, Uber, Uber coupons. I don't know if you remember any of that in the beginning. And then on the driver's side or on the operation side, it was very much focused on, I guess, three main components. One is driver acquisition and onboarding, right? It's like, how do you get new, we call it new supply. Then there was uh, existing supply, which is a function of, okay, you have all of these drivers. How do you get them to maximize their availability and also like their coverage across, you know, the city because you, you need like geo-based coverage. And then lastly, there's a quality component, you know, I'm sure you're familiar with Uber, you know, star ratings, Stephen, I hope your star rating is amazing. Mine could be better. Um, but uh, I joined and I worked on you know, very much a combination of like our new supply and existing supply uh, teams for Atlanta. So, and uh, it was fascinating. Like I really enjoyed it. It was uh, Uber is a, uh, well, one, the folks I worked with, I felt like just had a different, almost passion for what they worked on and just had like a different, they had a different passion and they were looking for something out of work that was a little different than what I had experienced at a consulting as in, hey, I cared about the impact that, you know, what I was trying to drive. Interesting. Were a lot of your colleagues at Uber former consultants? Yeah, a lot of them were former consultants. And like, obviously, when the peer I have from Kurt Salmon, we had someone from Accenture. I can go off on stories about him. We had some folks from like your Fortune 500. I think someone from like Georgia Power, which is like the largest like electricity provider in Georgia. Someone from like PwC, maybe an individual from Deloitte, some from like marketing consultant. But yeah, essentially a lot of professional services folks that were looking for you know something different. Good. That is interesting. And you were there, how many years were you at Uber? I was at Uber for about two and a half years. So that was the role I started in. It was enjoyable and it was fun because not only something I didn't necessarily, you know, I'm kind of backtracking a little bit, something I didn't necessarily also get out of consulting was I come from a very quantitative background. I was like a math and econ major and and I very much liked the way of how to think about the quant side and, you know, on the business side and like optimize kind of like whether it's growth or ops, right? Like that's not the terminology I would use at the time in college, but like looking back at something I like now and something I enjoyed at the time too. And I didn't feel like I got that much out of that as much in consulting. It was a lot of like project management and process work. And I know there are other firms that have different types of projects. So, you know, that's somewhat of my own you know, personal experience too. I didn't even really work in Excel outside of like making like project management, like trackers. But Uber was fun because like, not only is this like consumer product that like I use and like was just, it was the hottest startup at the time, right? Like in tech company, like it was the premier 
startup, you know, post like Facebook and Google. And the autonomy you got to make decisions from a, you know, somewhat junior individual, like I'd spent two years of consulting and like, you know, I wasn't like, you know, I'm not like a business leader. You had a lot of autonomy and you also were able to make decisions based on, we had so much data, like on, you know, looking back now, maybe it's not as much compared to some companies now, but at the time it's like, you had information on, you know, when people got picked up, like you got information on like your drop, drop offs, like at the geo level, you could look at like, you know, all the data that you wanted to like, you cut it any simple way. And like, also at the time, not only like, you know, it's more the spreadsheet work, but in terms of like the SQL, I don't know if you're like super familiar with that, but uh, being able to like learn that and like bridge operations and analytics and from like a very, like a junior point in time was so much fun. So I started in that, I know I'm on a tangent. And then I got the chance at Uber to launch Uber Eats in Atlanta. So we were one of the first 10 cities to launch in the world. We launched this product called Instant Eats at the time. I don't know if you remember that at all. I haven't heard of that one. Is it still around? It's not around. We would deliver food to you in 10 minutes from when you ordered. Wow. It was kind of a magical experience. There was a lot of operational hacking to make that happen. The way the ops worked for that was we had, we partnered with restaurants to cook all of their food in the morning. We sent Uber XL drivers to pick up all of that food, bring it to a central spot, which was the parking lot of the Uber office and where I set up shop. And then we gave it to Uber X drivers to then drive around the city in these heated bags. I think I can share all of this, but in these heated bags and then people with folks would order their food and then, you know, the food would arrive at them within you generally under 10 minutes. It was kind of crazy. Wow. If you, it was kind of magical at the time. We practiced food safety. The food could only stay hot. It could only stay good for four hours. We did two shifts. So like we passed the legal check marks, regulatory check marks. Cool. But it was also a very intensive operation. And hey, we actually just lost a lot of money. Yeah. A ton of money doing that. You can imagine just thinking through that. And we charge no delivery fee and the food was basically the cost of it was at cost basically what the customer would pay not very much like what you pay for uber eats now so it was a ton of fun to do that and that was you know outside of like what i did in college was like the first like i was like wow this is like really a start like i joined uber when it's already like had taken off a little bit but at that point uber eats was like very new and we were just like figuring things out like i was building schedules in like google sheets you know talking to all the drivers through like google voice like you know i'm getting phone calls from drivers in the morning so how long was that experiment so you were there to start it off and then were you there whenever it wound down I think I launched Instant Eats maybe seven months into Uber, and I was probably part of that for another like six, seven months in Atlanta. It didn't wind down immediately during that stint, but um, I closed out my time in our city office. I got the chance to go to work in HQ out of San Francisco, also on the Uber Eats team, but um, on more of a global perspective. And actually, I'll tell you about my role. So I was the first growth focus analyst for Uber Eats working on basically global like global user growth. One and a half years before that, I had done some like op stuff in Atlanta and I had launched very operationally heavy like startup within a startup also in Atlanta. And now I am marketing analytics lead for Uber Eats globally at a time when we went from 50 million in bookings to a billion in a year. Think of 20x in a year. Like think about that. And like thinking about it, like how do I get the opportunity? I don't really know. 
Um, I just talked with a few folks in San Francisco and I showed them that I'm an analytical person. They're like, oh yeah, come on, of course. And uh, hey, it was a ton of fun. Like I very much like built the foundation for like how we think about market, like growth and marketing analytics for Uber Eats. How do we think about like our give guest strategy, competitive intelligence for all of, you know, Uber Eats. I uh, built our like attribution model, like how, you know, where do users come from? What channels and efficiency, like partnering with all our performance marketing teams, like Drive CAC. I built like how we think about retention and like user lifecycle. There's like 10 other things I did. I wore like a ton of different hats, but it was like one of the most fun experiences I had. Yeah, it's super exciting. So why why did you end up jumping from... Uber to Home Depot? Yeah, that Home Depot is next, right? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, that's a good question. I ask myself that sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> some personal, like I was in SF and there's some personal reasons why I didn't want to be in SF. I, I don't want to like get into all of that, but um, I moved back to Atlanta and I was actually going back and forth between Atlanta and SF for a little bit and just wasn't like for Uber still at the time. And honestly, just kind of burnt out. And I've been working like pretty hard at Uber for the last like two something years. And yeah, some like personal journey, like careers are like kind of up, up and down and like ebb and flow. And I was just looking for something more stable. And Home Depot at the time had a, what they were calling a startup within a startup, which was they were building out their home decor division, which is a Wayfair competitor. And they're looking for someone to come in and work on very essentially what I just did at Uber Eats. That was the pitch anyways. But when I landed, it just, I think in my first week, I kind of knew, okay, this is not where. Yeah, it's a different company for sure. Yeah, it's a different company. The culture is different. You know, even you call it a startup within, I didn't call it a startup within a startup, but a startup within a bigger company, right? Like it did not feel like that. Next year after coming from like Uber Eats, because from a culture perspective, the individuals that led it were from, you know, on the corporate Home Depot side. You know, I got a chance to work on a few like, you know, interesting projects around on-site conversion, optimization, and some attribution modeling, but the pace is very different. Like what I've realized that, you know, some of your legacy Fortune 500s is the way you get work done is by who you know, from folks who have just been there the longest, like, hey, I can just call it Bob. And like, he knows the answer to this one thing that like no one else knows that Bob knows the answer to. And that's how you get things done. Not necessarily in terms of like, hey, this is like my idea for what we should do. Let's gather around it and let's like sprint at it which is very much the way Uber operated in the early days. It's like, hey, anyone that has like a good idea and shows like they're smart and has merit and works hard, like, hey, you can get things done. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So Uber, Home Depot, and then two more stops until you get to found. Is that right? Yes. I went to a company called Bellhop after Home Depot. And I kind of knew that transition was going to happen like kind of fairly early, not necessarily Bellhop, but not Home Depot. So Bellhop is a moving marketplace. So it's a three-sided marketplace. There's customers, then there's individual movers, we call Bellhop. Now they're called pros. And then there's uh, carriers who own and drive trucks for moving. I joined when there was a Series B stage startups. That's pretty early. I think it was about 100 people at the time. It's based out of Chattanooga, Tennessee, which is about two hours outside of Atlanta. I joined because the former Southeast general manager of Uber Rides went to go become the CEO of Bellhop. And, you know, he heard I didn't really like Home Depot, so he called me up. So I went to go join him at uh, Bellhop, and I started as a general manager there. And I oversaw all of our core markets at the time. Core was basically our existing markets because the company was in the stage of thinking about launch. So there's like core markets, launch markets. And it was summer fun. I mean, I'd just done marketing, a lot of marketing work for the last like year and a half and I was getting back into ops. And also the first time where I was getting to build a pretty significant or inherit and build a pretty significant team. So I came in. Bob's an interesting company in a lot of ways. Are they still around? 
they are still around. They're Series C stage. They actually got named number two moving company nationwide in U.S. News a few months ago. The first company I've never heard of, so I don't think they're a real company. U.S. News just left Bellhop. But uh, Bellhop, uh, in a lot of ways, Luke was, you know, the CEO. I come in. It was somewhat, I would say, of like a professionalization of the company and just bringing some structure from like what we knew at Uber in, even though at Uber there was... I, w- I use the word like structure very like loosely, but there was more structure than at Bellhop. But yeah, I took on a GM role, managed our markets, managed P&Ls. Uh, we 2 x in the time I was our GM of our core Southeast markets. I did that for about a year, did some really good work to increase contribution margin. And then we raised our Series C. Uh, I think after about a year, I was there as a $31 million Series C, which sounds like very small now with especially after coming out of 2021 but at the time it was a pretty decent series c for like a startup in based in the southeast a consumer startup based in the southeast and then i did a year where i took on our west and northeast regions which was basically our launch markets launched like 14 15 markets i'm just actually i'm just looking at my linkedin now because i don't remember and that was fun because it's like really taking the company nationwide we were like very much southeast company and then that took us like new york and took us like you know it's like Denver, West Coast, everywhere except for California, because California's got like very hard labor laws. But um, as you probably know, that was fun. And, you know, getting to, you know, build, going from like, you know, optimizing, I would say, and then into like, you know, building again and launching new markets. And then I took over our entire market management function. So that was like market P&Ls, some launches left, and then some program management and Early means like we didn't call it then, but it was like very much like biz ops types of roles where I had individuals who were like basically working on special projects and some individuals who were doing like analysis to like support like the, my function. So I did that for about a year. Good, interesting. That is really cool. And then you kind of stayed in that general industry, I would say, with was it New Breaks, right? Another was it Series A when you joined them? Yeah, I joined New Breaks, which is a, a similar business model just with break repair. So it's higher AOV and non-recurring transactions because think about moving, how often do you move, break repair, how often do you break repair. But it's interesting, both business models are like you break even or even do better on your first transaction and like everything after is, you know, gravy. Um, so if you have like 20% repeat, like you, obviously you get some, you know, that back over time. But I joined New Breaks at the seed. So I was their first, I would say like leadership hire. It was started by a few folks who, out of UT Austin, uh, they started as first a company called New Wash, where they did mobile car washes. And the economics from like a growth perspective just didn't work. People don't really want to pay $100 for a car wash, even though it's, it was actually really cool. They showed me how to do it. I was like, oh man, this is like, you can do these? Like, it was like, a, they called it like a, it was like no water method. It's like, you should look into it. Yeah, it is cool. But they dissolved that business. They were kind of running it. it was like more of a lifestyle business and then they found this brake repair uh, which was like they you can do mobile brake repair and it's actually from a customer standpoint it's the pricing is actually a little bit lower than what you find at like a firestone but then they come to you also which is great and the qual- the service quality is pretty high like if you look it up like the ton of five star reviews it's actually a really good product so they figured that out actually with one of their car wash technicians who apparently was also, you know, was an auto repair tech in, in a previous life. And then they spun up new brakes. They raised a seed 
before I joined from a venture firm called Bling Capital. is pretty interesting. Like VC, he's a one-man GP firm. His name is Ben Ling. He's been an angel investor in some like very successful companies. I think I was reading, um, is it High Growth Startup or the High Growth Startup Handbook? There's a book that's very good for like people joining startups in leadership roles. And he was on the list of like the top 20 angel VCs. Do you remember the name of the book? I think it's called High Growth Handbook by Eli Gill. Oh, cool. It's a great book, especially for those who are like, I say early in the startup life. Like if you had early career in startups, it's not as useful unless you're in more of like a strategy or like, you know, very cross-functional role. But especially for those who are joining startups and, you know, kind of understanding how the leadership team works, what VCs look at, that path like, it's a very good book. He's actually probably the most successful angel investor, Eli Gill, who wrote the book. Oh, wow. Good. And then thinking about some other useful tips that you could probably give to folks or current consultants, any tips that you would give them when they're thinking about making the jump into a startup out of consulting? I think it's interesting. I interview a lot of consultants for like the role I'm at now is like a biz ops role. And even like in previous, I've hired a lot of like ex-consultants to join. Well, I guess, you know, Stephen, like I guess tips on like how to get into a startup or tips on like finding the right role or company. Yeah, good. I think there's a lot that we could chat about there. I was thinking about what they should, maybe there's gaps in their toolkits that they don't recognize yet, but they'll find out quickly whenever they join the startup and giving them a heads up about that might be helpful. Yeah, it does depend on the role in a lot of ways. For example, if you're going to more of these like biz ops roles, which is like a very hot function to join as an own, one of the things that's very useful is actually learning SQL because you don't necessarily use that in consulting. There's some like, I'm sure there's a lot of like spreadsheet gurus that come in. You can learn quickly, but that's one skill. If you can get your own data to help you make decisions, it's so powerful in, you know, startups rather than having to like go to someone else to get it for you. It just increases your speed of like iteration and like your pace, which is very important in startups. Another skill set I've found folks, not just from consulting, but also just generally for people who have joined the startups for the first time, you just have to be comfortable with ambiguity, even in late stage it's things change quickly and your role changes quickly. Think about like my own like windy career and being a self-starter and understanding like where you can add value is something you want to learn quickly and work with your manager, you know, to try to identify as quickly as possible because speed is honestly like very much the essence and being able to speed to value in your ramp up time is that stands out. And just prioritization is a really big one. Is there any reason why you interview consultants or look to that talent pool for your companies? Yeah, because sometimes consultants can handle ambiguity well because they're sometimes dropped into environments where you have to put structure in complex and like with process, with like stakeholders, you know, and you do it like quickly and in a lot of ways. So that's definitely one of it. And honestly, consulting is also something it's a filtering mechanism, just like how colleges are. Like, hey, there's a gating mechanism for people who come into consulting and like you pass that bar and like I, you know, your general like reasonable level of intelligence, work ethic, ambition, which are all great to have in startups too. Good. Whenever you're interviewing consultants or other people, what's a way that they could impress you as a leader in the startup world if, if they're trying to get in? Okay, so when people who are interviewing straight from consulting and coming into startups, your comparison point is someone, a lot of times someone who's worked at a startup before. 
and who can draw on that experience to, you know, it decreases risk, right? Like if I were to hire someone, a lot of times my ideal like profile for like, you know, biz ops role is like someone who's done consulting, gone to a startup, and now I'm hiring them. It's like so much de-risking that's happened rather than hiring someone straight from consulting. The folks who I've hired straight from consulting that I've looked for and have done well is they have shown a breadth of understanding about the company in a way that makes me feel like they've really done their homework and shown like interest in like, you know, what we're doing and even like the type of work we do. Like passion for the mission in startups is important. And the folks who I've managed who had passion for what we're doing, all you know, that helps a lot. Well, that's one. Two is like being able to display like some understanding of startups, even though you haven't worked in it, like do your homework, do your research, maybe read some books, right? Like that's always helpful. And then the third one is most of these biz ops types of roles have a very structured interview process where if you get through at the end, you are doing a case presentation where like you get a strategic prompt that's like somewhat vague. And you have to basically show that, you know, you understand the problem and like can make a, you know, a recommending solution and, you know, also manage the room and the time because you're in the room with often like, you know, startup business leaders. That's important. I mean, that's just showing like everything you've learned from consulting, like the business strategy, the communication, you know, the analysis, usually a lot of times you'll get like a data set. So just got to knock out of the park. And I would say, I'm going to add one more is a lot of folks who have not have worked at a startup had some sort of entrepreneurial like experience in their past. And that's a lot of times why they're looking to work at a startup. And it's interesting because you can draw upon these like examples that you may not even think was that worth it. I just interviewed an individual who works at Pearson in like a marketing analytics role. And she didn't have it on her resume, but she worked at this school in Europe and like built out this like product for the school, essentially their product manager job. And then like kind of scaled that. And it was like a very fascinating experience and like very relevant. And she didn't even think that was worth mentioning. And I was like, that is a great experience on top of like, yes, you've got some like expertise in Fortune 500s. You know, honestly, that's somewhat dime a dozen. But like that experience combined with your like expertise shows me that you can navigate an ambiguity. And that's something that she was looking to want to work in because she had that experience before. Well, that's very helpful. And I think a lot of our audience will appreciate those tips. Before we wrap up here, Leon, anything else you want to, to tell our listeners? Yeah, the world of startups is fun. It's careers are like windy, definitely my own, maybe more windy than even, you know, others. I think for those who in consulting are interested in like making the leap, I would just say do the research, reach out, get connected, you know, talk to folks and just learn a little bit about what life on the other side is like and uh, something I've enjoyed. And I would definitely recommend for those who have a passion for, you know, working in the startup space. Perfect, Leanne. Well, I can tell you lots of the consultants that, that we interview here at ECA would be very excited to have a career path like yours and will appreciate the story of your career. Really enjoyed our conversation. Thanks again so much for joining us today. Hey, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, Stephen. It was great talking. 